Heavenly Father, we have chosen the way of truth by coming to you this morning, coming to your word with your people. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to set our hearts on your word this morning. May we know that in your scriptures we have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray that we would drink deeply from yourself this morning by faith. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we have come to John chapter 7, verse 25 and following. As we've been looking at John 7 together, we quite some time ago looked at John chapter 6 and saw Jesus there feeding the 5,000. Then we took a break and we came back to John chapter 7 where a six-month period has passed and Jesus is now in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He's come up to the Feast of Tabernacles and this is a moment in the life of Jesus where there's lots of people around him who are thirsty in a number of different ways. As we look at John chapter 7, and particularly the passage this morning, we see that there are a lot of people who are thirsty, who are parched and seeking knowledge. How do we know this? Well, if you look at the different people and the comments that are made in, amongst the crowd in John chapter 7, you see that people have different understandings about Jesus. They're all thirsting to understand Jesus better. You see in verse 30 that some people are trying to seize him. It says in verse 30 of chapter 7, At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. So some people are trying to grab Jesus uh, because they think that he's uh, breaking God's law. But verse 31, it says, Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. Some people are actually trusting Jesus. And then also in verse 31 it said, They said, When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? They're understanding that he is the Messiah. And then also in verse 32, it says the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. There were lots of people who were whispering about who Jesus is. And the Pharisees are very much aware of it. And then down in verse 40, you see that people are understanding that Jesus is the prophet, or at least questioning whether he is the prophet. Verse 40 of John 7, it says, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. This, of course, is a a reference to the prophecy in Moses, uh, in the book of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, that there would be a great prophet who would come one day. And people were looking out for the prophet. And people are hungry to know whether Jesus is indeed the prophet. And then you've got people in verse 41 saying he is the Christ, and then other people saying, is he the Christ? Because he comes from Galilee. People have a thirst to know who Jesus is throughout this passage. But it's not only that that helps us to understand that people are thirsty at this time when Jesus is teaching. It's also the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you know anything about Jewish uh, rituals and what they would do, you would understand that water was a significant part of this period in Jesus' ministry, the period that he's here for in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. How did the Jews celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, I'll actually read you a little bit from a commentary by Burge as to what would happen during the Feast of Tabernacles. It would go for seven to eight days, and this is what would happen uh, throughout that feast. It says, each day of the feast, it witnessed a water ceremony in which a procession of priests descended to the south border of the city to the Gihon Spring. So priests would go to this spring. The water... Uh, There a priest filled a golden pitcher as a choir chanted Isaiah 12 verse 3, 
With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So a priest would draw some water and they'd be chanting uh, Isaiah 12. The water was then carried back up the hill to the water gate. They would go through the water gate and followed by crowds carrying branches. So crowds would be following this water as it's carried through and the crowd would shake these branches and sing Psalms 113 through to 118 and we had Psalm 114 open with the uh, service today and that of course references to water are throughout that and when the procession arrived at the temple the priest would climb the altar steps and pour the water onto the altar while the crowd circled him and continued singing on the seventh day of the festival, this procession took place seven times. It's to do with um, circling the walls of Jericho. Judaism saw this water ceremony on multiple levels. On the one hand, it was a plea to God for rain since, the autumn, uh, since autumn is a time of threatened drought in Israel. So they wanted physical water to descend from the heavens. That was part of the reason why they were doing this. On the other hand, it was a source of rich symbolism. In the desert, God brought forth water from a rock, and here water was flowing from the sacrificial rock altar of the temple. And Zechariah and Ezekiel, Old Testament prophets, had visions of rivers flowing from the temple in a miraculous display of God's blessing. So water was a common symbol in the Old Testament to signify God's spiritual blessing not just physical blessing. And so in a drought-stricken land, unlike Australia, unless you live in the middle of Australia, it was a spectacular vision of water, life-giving water flowing from God's life-giving temple. And this is the time that Jesus is in right now as this ceremony is going on, the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus then cries out something. As people are thirsting to know who he is as they're very much aware of this ceremony that's happening every day and on the seventh day happening seven times what does jesus cry out verse 37 john 7 37 on the last and greatest day of the feast jesus stood and said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink in the middle of all this thirst for knowledge of him, in the middle of this water ceremony that's going on, as everybody's thinking about physical rain and also spiritual rain coming from God, Jesus calls out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And what does Jesus mean? We don't usually talk about people drinking other people. What does he mean? Well, we actually get it explained to us in verse 38 and then 39. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus was offering to give satisfaction to spiritual thirst by giving the Holy Spirit. He was willing to quench the spiritual thirst that people have by sending the Holy Spirit. And he was offering something that was not previously given in this way. He was offering something that was not available previously or someone who was not available previously. And that is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit was inactive in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is definitely active in the Old Testament. We see examples of that even with 
Moses and the prophets, uh, the prophets throughout the Old Testament, of course, have the Holy Spirit upon them. But Moses, he is able to prophesy with the 70 elders. They have the Holy Spirit descend upon them. And so we see the Holy Spirit is definitely present in the Old Testament. He's also present in the New Testament. Even before uh, Jesus, there's a time where people are said to have the Holy Spirit upon them. Uh, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. His mother, Elizabeth, has the Holy Spirit upon her. See that Simeon, uh, who uh, sees Jesus at the temple as a baby, he is said to have the Holy Spirit upon him. There are references in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to the Holy Spirit being given to people. And on one level, the Holy Spirit has been given to everybody throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament who trust in God. We understand that to trust in God, you need to be born again. And Jesus in John chapter 3 says that you can't be born again without being born of the Holy Spirit. If you have belief in God, you have the Holy Spirit within you. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, uh, come and drink, and then we read in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive, up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does this mean? What does it mean the Spirit had not been given? It means that the Spirit had not been given in the way that we would see later on in the New Testament, that the Spirit had not been poured out as abundantly as he uh, as we see in the New Testament. He, in the Old Testament, he wasn't filling people in the abundant way that he does in the New Testament. There was an age to come, Jesus is talking about, there's an age to come where the Spirit would be poured out abundantly. And this was referenced in the Old Testament, that there were time was coming. Moses said that he'd longed for all God's people to have the Spirit as he had the Spirit. And in that passage that we had read for us before from Isaiah 44, we see a reference to that as well. Isaiah 44, it said, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Isaiah 44 is prophesying of the future that God would pour out his spirit abundantly. When did this happen? Well, the clear example of this beginning is of course at in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Turn with me there now to see how this came to be, what Jesus is talking about came to be on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Look with me at page 1078. 1078 and I'll read from verse 1. So Jesus has died, he's gone into heaven and then the day of Pentecost comes in verse 1 and we see how the Spirit is poured out abundantly. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they, that's the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show the wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what Jesus is referring to in John chapter 7 when he says the spirit had not yet been given, that there is a time where people would be able to drink from him in an abundance that has never been seen before. Yes, the Holy Spirit was in existence in the Old Testament. He's always existed. He was given by God, but not in the way that we see there on the day of Pentecost and in the age we now live in. But what had happened so that the Spirit would be poured out so abundantly in Acts chapter 2? Well, Jesus was glorified. We see that in John chapter 7. It talks about how the Spirit had not yet been given, and he gives the reason why. Verse 39 of John chapter 7 Turn with me back now to page 1058. You may want to keep your finger in Acts 2 for a moment. Page 1058, verse 39 of John 7, it says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus was glorified, and in John's Gospel it usually refers to his death on the cross. When Jesus was held up so that all people would look to him when he was glorified as he was taking our sin upon his shoulders as God was well pleased with what he was doing there at the cross. The spirit then poured forth abundantly. The rock was struck and the spirit poured forth. So what does this mean for us? Well, Christ calls to us now to come and drink by faith. We are living in the age where the Spirit is poured forth abundantly in a way that has not come before. And we can drink of Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit fill us and change us and transform us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I encourage you to consider to drink from Jesus Christ, to thirst for him now and to drink from him. How how are you thirsty for Christ and for his Holy Spirit? Or do you have peace of mind about the fact that you are dying, that you don't have eternal life? Do you have peace of mind when you consider that you're dying, that one day you will cease to breathe, you will cease in this world, your body will be taken and put in a grave? Do you have peace of mind about that? 
Or are you thirsty for eternal life? Are you thirsting for it? Then I encourage you, come and drink from Jesus Christ. Do you have peace of mind about your sin, the fact that you continue to do wrong, that day after day you strive against the sin that you see in your life, but you can't overcome it, and you continue to feel guilty for the things that you've done? That's a thirst that can be satisfied in Jesus Christ. If you come to him and drink by the Spirit, you can have that guilt washed away. Are you troubled about the existence of God and Jesus Christ and who he is? You're thirsty for knowledge of him. Then come to him and drink of him. How? By trusting in him, by believing in him. That's what John 7 verse 39 says, By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you commit your life over to him, if you trust that he will give you life after death, if you trust that he takes your sin away, then you drink deeply from him if you trust in him. If you're not a Christian, you should thirst about these things as you crawl through the desert of life. I know that one of the big problems with unbelievers is that they don't recognise that they are actually thirsty, that they've tried to satisfy their thirst with things of this world and they get temporary satisfaction so they don't think that they're thirsty for life after death. They don't think that they're thirsty for knowledge of God. They don't think that they're thirsty for freedom from the guilt of sin. So often people in this world, they're like children who say they're not thirsty until they get in the car and all distractions are removed. While they're at home and they're playing video games, while they're at home and reading a good book, while they're at home and playing with a pet, oh no, I'm not thirsty, I don't need a drink, Mum. Don't you need a drink before we leave the house? No, 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 get in the car. Mum, I'm thirsty. So many unbelievers are like that. They've got so many distractions around them, they don't realise that they are actually thirsty that they need to come to Jesus as the only one who can give them eternal life, as the only one who can pay for their sins and wash them away. If you're an unbeliever, you're here this morning, I encourage you to recognise that a fountain has burst up in your life. Here this morning, Jesus Christ calls out to you in a loud voice. He cried out there so many years ago and he cries to you now and says, come and drink. The rock has been struck. And a fountain of water has come out under high pressure. And you can drink and have eternal life if you'll simply trust in him. And you can drink and have the guilt that you feel about your sins washed away. You can have the lacking of knowledge filled with Christ. The the desire to understand God better, to understand Jesus better, can be filled if you simply come and trust in him. And if you are a Christian and you're here this morning... I encourage you to continue to drink from Jesus Christ. Continue to drink of the Holy Spirit, which he alone gives. If the tap in your house stopped working, so the plumbing stopped working in the house, would you say, that's okay, I had a drink yesterday. That's all right, I'll be fine. Or would you do something about it? Recognising that you need water yesterday... But you also need water today and you'll need water tomorrow. We're very privileged in our culture, in our land, that we take water for granted. But we desperately need it. it. And if the tap in your house 
stopped working, if water ceased to flow through the pipes, your house would pretty much grind to a halt in trying to get that sorted out, in trying to make sure that water would start flowing again in your home so that you can continue to drink of the water that gives you life. It's the same with Jesus Christ. You don't say, oh, I drank from him once, I believed in him a few years ago, and it's okay today. I don't need to trust in Jesus any longer. I'm okay. No, you need to keep on trusting in Jesus Christ. You need to keep on drinking. You need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit in particular? Well, you need to keep on growing in holiness. You need to live up to what you've already attained. God saves you so that you can do good works for him. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we can do those good works. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can actually become more and more holy. The Holy Spirit is very good at blasting the sin away from your life. Water under high pressure is very good at blasting things. I do have a pressure washer at home, and I've used it on occasions to blast things away. And in particularly, I, I used it once for the, the barbecue. We have a barbecue that had all sorts of grease and all kinds of gunk on it. And I focused the pressure washer on it, and it was very good at spraying away all the charcoal and uh, grease that was in the barbecue. Probably would have been better if it was hot water that was blasting out. But it still did a pretty good job. And I remember playing around with it and focusing the point of the pressure washer to a point where it was really fine and coming out really fast. And it actually started to strip the paint off the barbecue itself. It started to strip away even more than I wanted it to. Water under high pressure can blast a lot of things away. And the Holy Spirit flows from Jesus at a pressure never seen before because he was struck. The Holy Spirit flows forth abundantly under high pressure. And so if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you keep on trusting in him, if you keep believing that he is your Messiah, the Holy Spirit will flow through him into you and take away the sin that you struggle with. We often find sins in our lives that we just can't seem to overcome. Try all kinds of methods. There's one method that never fails, and that is the Holy Spirit. If you trust more in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will flow more in your life and you'll be able to blast that sin away just like a high-pressure washer can blast away even the darkest of stains. But also, the Holy Spirit can float us into spiritual exercises. It's very interesting how we have, on one hand, we're supposed to stop sinning, but we're not meant to stop halfway. If when we repent, we don't turn from sin and sit at neutral. No, we're actually supposed to do right. We're supposed to be doing good. We're not supposed to sin, and we are supposed to do good works for God. And the Holy Spirit helps with that as well. The Holy Spirit helps in removing sin from your life, in conquering the different sins that are there. The Holy Spirit also helps us to engage in spiritual exercises. We see throughout the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see the holiness of the saints there, and they stop, they stop sin, but they also practice godliness. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 where we saw the day of Pentecost come, we saw the Holy Spirit poured out in abundance, we saw the uh, Apostle Peter speak about how this is a fulfilment of the prophecy in the book of Joel. 
And then after he has finished speaking to the crowd and a large number of people, 3,000 are added to the number of the disciples that day, we see what happens with the early church. What does the early church get up to? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What is going to get us to behave like those people so many years ago? What is going to get us to come to church every week and to actually be sad if we have to miss a Sunday? What is going to get us to come to a prayer meeting and enjoy it? What is going to get us to read the Bible and Christian books and delight in them more than we delight in watching television. What is going to get us to be generous and to give of our wealth cheerfully? What is going to get us to love someone at church who always offends us? What is going to get us to do those things? Is it being hard on yourself? Is it having a Bible-thumping pastor who will make sure that you know that's what you're supposed to be up to and so you'll do it to impress him or to impress other people at church? No, that won't get you to do those things. What gets you to do those things? Who gets you to do those things? It's the Holy Spirit. It's only the Holy Spirit that will get you to engage in prayer, to meet with other believers, to love people that are hard to love, to have a spiritual interest in the Bible and in other books that can help you to understand the Bible better. Only the Holy Spirit will help you to give generously of the things that you have. So often I think as Christians, myself included, we're like boats that are stuck in the mud as the tide has gone out. Have you ever seen that? Big boats that are there on a shore and they're stuck in the mud there and it would take an awful lot of force to shift them and get a whole bunch of people down there and try and push a large boat through the mud you'd need a lot of people even today you'd have to get some serious trucks down there cranes to shift those boats through the mud yes there's some water around them but they're not going to float anytime soon upon that water but if you wait for the tide to come back in, for water to flow abundantly up to the shore, what happens to those boats? They lift very easily. They start to float. And even a child, if they're there and they push while standing on the, the dock, they push the boat hard, it can move in the water because the water has flowed up and lifted it and buoyed it up so that it can do what it was designed to do, to shift large cargo or people through the water. You think you can never look like the early church did there 
in Acts chapter 2. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. You think that you can't be someone who would sell your possessions and give to those who need. You can't believe that you would be someone who meets together with others with glad and sincere hearts and praise God and enjoy favour from others and see other people come to be saved. Well, if you trust in your own power, it's not going to happen. But if you trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit flows into your life, he can float the most sluggish of Christians who's stuck in the mud to delight in the Lord and to move for his glory. There's that famous hymn that the Welsh minister Rees wrote about the love of God, and he says in the second verse, On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. When Jesus was struck at Calvary, floodgates opened and the most sluggish of Christians can be moved to delight in the Lord. We have no excuse if we don't do what we should, if we don't blast the sin away in our lives, if we don't rise to the challenge of God's commands and to do what he would have us do, because God has opened the floodgates. And the problem is with us that we don't thirst as we should and we don't believe as we should. We get distracted by the things of this world and we don't trust in Jesus as we should. If we just trusted in Jesus more, the Holy Spirit would flow more into our lives and we'd be able to conquer the world. We are all thirsty. We all should be conscious more of our thirst and we should be coming to Jesus Christ in faith more. I encourage you this morning, don't blame God for the sin in your life. He's done everything. He's sent his son. He opened the floodgates. Problem is, you're not drinking as you should. So I encourage you, come with me this morning. Drink from Jesus Christ by believing in him, by listening to him, by speaking to him, by trusting him as you should. And if you do, the Holy Spirit will well up in you like a fountain and you'll be able to conquer many of the sins in your life and you'll be able to do what the Lord wants you to do and actually enjoy it because the Holy Spirit moves within you. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the only one who can satisfy the thirst of our souls. Lord, we thank you that you invite all who thirst to drink of yourself, to drink of the Holy Spirit from you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not drinking as we should, for our weak faith. Lord, we ask that you would also help us to drink deeply from you. Help us to have a thirst for you that is not satisfied by the things of this world, all the numerous distractions around us. But instead, Lord, we pray that we would understand that it is only by you that our soul's thirst can be quenched. 
So, Lord, we pray that we would experience more and more of your Holy Spirit's power because our faith in you continues to grow. We pray this in Christ, in your Son's name. Amen.